three, four. We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Hello and welcome to episode 169 of Dear Diaries, a Milwaukee Bucks podcast. My name is Riley Feldman, one of your usual co-hosts. Back again after another 500 week, the Bucks continue to be 500 in the year 2024 after 10 games. Uh, here to break it all down with my first usual co-host, Kyle Carr. Kyle, how are you doing? It's it's winter. We had a polar vortex. It sucked. Thankfully, it's starting to turn around, but sometimes I question why I live in this godforsaken state. Beautiful. And then on the on the other end of the nation, uh, geographically, we have coming back for I believe it's his actual regular season debut because if you see on for the draft and then for the Dame podcast. So, Michael, welcome to Dear Diaries regular season edition. How are you doing? Howdy. Um, I'm doing great. It feels great to be here. Not definitely not as cold as it is in, in Madison, but um, still pretty chilly in Houston relative to what we're used to. <laughs> I, I will trade it. I will trade it. I swear. After <laughs> having a high of one on one of the days, I, I was like, I will go to anywhere else that is above 15. Yeah, let's, we had like, to cover all our plants yeah. for the, the freeze that we had, quote unquote, the other day. But other than that, no, it's been fine. <laughs> Good. Good. Well, in play if it's freezing outside it might maybe it's freezing in the bucks record column in 2024 it's a horrible transition but the bucks were back in action twice this week slow week uh they all division week it's going to be nearly an all division week next week as well they started it off uh at ho or sorry in cleveland on wednesday against the cleveland cavaliers got hosed 135 to 95 uh Giannis sat and it was a beatdown. we'll get into that and then they went back up to Michigan then from there and they lost or beat the Pistons 141-135. Very close. Pistons shot really hot. Dame scored 40 plus. Uh let's go to Michael, first regular season spot. We will ask you to start with what you learned this week. Uh thank you for letting me start. And I just wanted to to give a little hats off to Damian Lillard. I mean, I was I, I kind of went into this including the Sacramento game as well because it was last Sunday. But um, even even excluding that game, he had a pretty solid week. I mean, the Cleveland game is just kind of hard to regard because, like you said, Giannis sat and it was a it was a beat down. Uh, George Niang had a a crazy second quarter that no one saw coming, and the starters were out. It was very similar to like the Celtics game from the other week, but we were kind of on the other side of it this time in the sense that we just threw in the white flag pretty soon after halftime and. Um, so, yeah, Lillard only had 17 in that outing, but had a really productive offensive output against Detroit. You know, 45 points, perfect from the free throw line, 5-11 from three, added 11 assists. Um, his highest scoring game is a buck and a second 40-burger. So I'm kind of – I'm delighted with how he's kind of coming into form, at least in 2024 so far. Yeah, I was going to say, probably as good of a week for Dame as – you can ask. I mean, he was, he did try his best. It's not as though, you know, even though that Cavs game was not the best for him in a, all right, 
Dame, Giannis is out. Dame, here are the keys. Go make it work because, you know, he still shot seven of 20. So he was definitely struggling one of five from three. But, I mean, the whole team did not shoot well. I, okay, that's not true. Jay Crowder, four of ten. So good <laughs> on him. Um, Pat Connison was also two of three. But it's just, it was kind of one of those where you get the game winner. You have this game against Detroit. I didn't even realize when, until the game was over, that he had that many. It was one of those where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, Dame's getting some buckets. And then I look and I'm like, oh, he has 45 points. Oh, <laughs> Okay, didn't realize that and had 11 assists. So it's, you know, very, he was not just scoring, but he was also making sure to get everyone else involved as much as possible as well. And I thought that was pretty impressive. And to do all that with only one turnover was good too, because there have definitely been games where sometimes Dame is forcing a little bit too much. And when he's doing that, then, you know, the passes are kind of getting sloppy or he's trying to force a post entry pass and it gets picked off. So, him only having one turnover yesterday was, I think, the most impressive thing with how much he had the ball and how many assists he was getting as well. So, I mean, 11 to 1 assist to turnover ratio is great. So, yeah, good week for Dame overall. I think we're starting to get a little bit more into the maybe it just takes him a little bit longer to get into that rhythm. And realistically, the game, like games against Detroit, that's what we're expecting or hoping for in the playoffs. I mean, maybe not expecting them to get 45, but being able to just kind of take a game over and just decide, all right, we're, we're going to get, we're going to do this. I'm going to get to the free throw line. I'm going to get points. Don't worry. We should give uh, notes in terms of the Cavs performance for Dame for pretty much everybody. I mean, they went down 22 to two. That was, that was the starting score before the bucks started. Like <laughs> they, they did not have a lead throughout and they started down 20 points literally after like five minutes, I believe of play. So not a great all-around performance from the team. Didn't exactly rally in the absence of Giannis. Uh, we should also, in the Dame's performance against the Pistons, he goes 16-16 from the free throw line. Giannis got to the line 22 times. Of course, he only made half of those because it wouldn't be a Giannis big free throw night if it wasn't for him <laughs> missing half of them. Um, yeah, great orchestrator performance. And there's been comments this past week on Brewhub on a couple different posts, uh, in particular, Archon's follow up post about Adrian Griffin. I saw talking about the the fact that the defense is so bad, yes, but that the offense still has a ways to go. As good as it is, it still feels like there's a much more of a gear still waiting. And I don't, I'm not going to say that the Pistons game is the start of it because we've seen Dame just go out and score a whole bunch on his own, competently play as a playmaker. Um, but what, what I would like to see in the second half of the season, if we're going to have especially big usage nights for those two guys is, again, how much are they playing off each other? Are we seeing more and more sequences, more set plays so that, yes, when the playoffs come, most of the possessions are going to run through them. But is everybody comfortable with their role and functioning around them? So um, we, we appreciate a big Dame scoring night, especially when the Pistons shoot as well as they did. Um, to kind of keep pace, they 21 to 37 from three and Alec Burke scored 33 points from the bench for the Pistons. So it, it did take a lot of hot shooting on the part of the Pistons, especially without Kate Cunningham to hang in there. But um, shout out to Dame, great performance. And I, I do want to ask you guys, do you think this was Alex, Alec Burks's last stand? Is this the, will there ever, will he score more points than 33 points from now until he retires from professional basketball? Probably because there's going to be that game where someone's going to have to score and it might be, it might take 30 shots, but he will get there. 
I think you got to start by asking how many more times they play the Bucks this year, <laughs> because mm-hmm. that definitely raises the likelihood. I think with how the the defense has looked in some stretches, particularly against Detroit. It would be extremely depressing if tonight when the podcast drops, uh, Alec Burks goes out and scores 34 points to top his, his previous performance against us. Okay. No, Kyle, like, how about you? Check like, wait, do, do <laughs> does he play they, tonight? They, and will he do it? Uh, as we're recording? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're listening to this, this, he may or may not have already eclipsed his personal best uh, by the time you listen to this podcast. Uh, Kyle, what you uh, learned this week? Uh, Giannis is duct tape. Basically, when he doesn't play, things go absolutely downhill, whether it is the full game like we saw in the Cavs game or just when he sits on the bench. It is very clear how much Giannis can mask a lot of the team's issues. Um, being a both, even though his defense has not been to the level that we are accustomed to, um, it's just tough. Like, it's a glaring sign of okay, because normally if someone gets past on the perimeter, you at least have Giannis and Brooke that are potentially there to alter things. And now you don't have that with Giannis and it's just Brooke and it makes things a lot more difficult. And I mean, it's kind of hard to replace someone like him in the role that he can play on the defense. So it's just like defensively, a lot of those issues just are highlighted. And then offensively, if they, if like if Chris or Dame or someone else cannot take on, take another step to take on that scoring load that Giannis can provide and also, like, other than Dame, no one else is really good at getting to the free throw line. And other than Brooke, no one is more efficient down low. So it's just you see it on the offensive end as well, where you kind of notice, all right, maybe this has to be a game where the Bucks, if the Bucks shot, you know, 40-something percent from three, maybe they'd have a chance. But when you're only shooting 28%, and then you see it in the Pistons game as well. When he's sitting on the bench, that's when the Pistons are starting to get a little bit of the runs. And so Giannis is just duct tape. He masks and fixes all the problems that uh, Milwaukee has. I, I tend to agree. Like if you think of the roster, right. In terms of all around skill set, you know, Dame is obviously a really great offensive player, but everybody else is either is good in one area of the game, but is not great or good in numerous areas of the game. And Giannis based off of his height, based off his skill set, things like that. Uh, he's like the unique he fills all the gaps, which is why we win as much as we do because he's able to do so much. But uh, especially on the defensive ends um, in the Pistons game, y- you could see still a number of instances and we'll continue to talk about the defense all season long. Cause it's the most important thing we got coming out of this, but the inability on the perimeter for guys to stay in, e- even maintain a little bit of contact, stay in front of the ball handler. Um, the ability to help out Brooke is still crucial. Um, and I'll be curious too, if we continue to run a lot of small ball lineups with Giannis at center, you know, how does that change the defensive flow? Because I believe uh old friend of the site, uh, Brian Sampson, uh, Bucks film room, he posted that the Bucks starting lineup has a one, one was it either one fifteen or one eleven point five defensive rating, whatever it was, it was like second best in the league that gives you hope that there's still something to work for here. Um, but it does much as like on the offensive end where it seems like maybe there's still a couple of gears to still hit. I also wonder like previous seasons, if Giannis has another gear on defense to pull out as well, especially in that free safety spot. So um, you have the right analysis, Kyle. Uh, I I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) I think it goes a lot deeper than like uh, team is less good without best player. I mean, 
it's it really is like he's the the engine and when you watch them without him it's it's like they everyone moves differently everyone shoots the ball differently it's it's he really is more than just a glue guy Shout out to you, Giannis. And Dame. Good good week for the top two stars. I mean, sort of. We still got it. <laughs> but, but we have to acknowledge the 40-point defeat to the Cavaliers, so I'm not going to claim it was an awesome week for Dame or pretty much anybody associated with the organization in that one. But Detroit, and then by the, the process of Giannis missing uh, by transmission, yes, that makes Giannis the MVP because we'd be like a lottery team most nights uh, if Giannis wasn't out there. So shout out to Giannis. That yeah. leads to... My takeaway, thank God for Detroit. They're good. We've had them. They've come into the schedule numerous times, right? When you need the get right game, you have the Cavs, you get pants. You're like, okay, well, thank God it's just Detroit because no matter what road, home, whatever the situation, I mean, they may play play as close, close but uh, we should be able to get the win. Uh, the one thing I will say, the other thing from the Pistons game, bad bench performance. Uh, Jay Crowder scores 15 points in his debut his return from injury um and then he scores two against the pistons and i believe everybody on the bench for the bucks was a minus and the plus minus and everybody all the starters were like at minimum plus 20 if not up to like plus 30 plus 40 so um more concerning evidence that the bench is really really bad and he uh adrian griffin went down to a nine-man rotation so it's it, you can't really blame like the deep bench about it it was like the direct bench guys so um, thank God for Detroit, but continue uh, concerns continue for the bench for me personally. You know what? You know what helps though with um, thank God for Detroit the fact that we'll see him again. <laughs> <laughs> By the time you're listening, we'll see him again tonight, so that will be helpful. Um, yeah, I don't know. Detroit is definitely they've been playing better um, recently. Obviously, they had the 27 game losing streak, but even near the end of that losing streak. I mean, they were up against the Celtics for the majority of the game and just couldn't hold on. They've notched a couple of wins. I jokingly said last week, the upstart Detroit Pistons, I, I was just saying, it was coming. So they, they have been playing They have been playing better. I think I saw on the graphic during the broadcast that I think they were their points per game was climbing each month. So... And they were doing all this with, I believe, I mean, Cade Cunningham didn't play either. So that was also relatively impressive. So it's just kind of like a, you know, Detroit's still not a good team and you would expect them to boat race them, but they're, they're, they at least tried. They're, they haven't completely waved the white flag and given up, which I will give them props to. But yeah, um, definitely would like to see the Bucks just blow them out and not have a close game um, when they play again. This box score just gets more unserious the more you look at it. <laughs> that all of the starters had um, positive plus minuses and all the bench had negative plus minuses. I mean, when you look at Detroit in contrast, I mean, the starters are negative 29, negative 22, negative 22, and their bench is like plus 20, plus 6, plus 19, plus 24 for Burks. Like sometimes a plus minus tells a story. It's a kind of a lazy stat to look at, but like in a game like this, it was one team's had a good bench the other team had a bad bench yeah the, the so going back just to the bench real quick a uh, couple of updates there since we last recorded which was literally just a week ago but so jay crowder's back 
I don't know if you guys have strong takes about his performance. Obviously, very early days, just two games. Um, campaign looks like he's getting dropped a little bit off the edge of the earth. Uh, his minutes aren't completely gone, but he did suit up and got DNP'd against the Pistons. Same for Marjan. Um, any thoughts about the, the bench composition now? The other guys who played from the bench, Bobby, with 16 minutes, Andrew Jackson Jr. with 15 and a half minutes, Pat Connett's in 14 minutes, Jay with about 14 minutes as well. Any thoughts about bench campaign getting dropped? Anything interesting there to you guys? What's going on in the rotation? It was interesting, um, obviously, because, you know, Marjan and AJ Green and Chris Livingston, they were playing with the herd. So not completely surprised that they didn't play against the Pistons. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But it is it was interesting seeing Payne just not get any run whatsoever. And I do kind of wonder if this is just Griffin doing his normal, like one guy just suddenly won't play. If this is, well, with Jay Crowder back, maybe it'll be Dame just primarily initiates the offense and then Giannis and Chris will do it on the minutes that Dame sits on the bench or Andre Jackson Jr. is capable of doing it. So maybe that's kind of the outlook on it. I don't know. I'd say another, I'd probably need another week to get a better idea of it just because this game was just like a weird one. And then he played like 13 minutes against the Cavs. So it's like, well, now it's also primarily garbage time. But yeah, I need another week before I really read anything into the campaign not playing uh part i'm kind of on the same page with that um the the defense gets like especially dreadful when the backcourt is lillard and campaign but um yeah i i kind of kind of agree with your sentiment kyle that's really got to break griffin's heart man he's like well, let me let me go to the bench. We need to spell for a couple of garments. He's like, damn it. He's like, everybody, my entire guard core is just horrible, except for Ajax, and he's like 20 years old. So I'm just my options here are a little limited in the in the bench guard rotation, which we'll talk about here shortly in the trade exercise. Um trying to think any other takeaways, not even just things you learn, but any other thoughts about the team before we get into trade scenario? I Again, just two games, so not a lot to talk about. But we are over the halfway line officially. So, yep. Any thoughts? Uh, don't want to bash this regular season. <laughs> We're halfway, people. Don't worry. We're almost to the playoffs. Yeah. I don't want to bash Jay Crowder, but a majority of his, I think, fifteen points in the Cavs game were a little. There were a little Mickey Mouse. I mean, it was starters were out it was fourth quarter i think he had like eight or ten of his points when i mean it was keeping us afloat we only lost by 40 it could have been 50 if he wasn't carrying the offensive load but i don't know it's just a little bit of an asterisk to that <laughs> and he's he's literally scored 13 of his of his 15 points in the fourth quarter so yeah mickey mouse and he played the entire quarter as well so mickey mouse is the exact right way and you don't have to feel bad especially with these hosts about bashing jay crowder that's kyle's banished yep. him around the world on numerous <laughs> occasions already i was praying for him to just retire so <laughs> you know don't feel bad about that with this crowd right on I'm trying to think if there's any other takeaways. It'll be, I, I'm very curious this coming week, uh, not because of the Pistons game, which I hope is unexciting, but playing the Cavs again, that kind of quick turnaround against the team that just really beat the doors off you. Um, and then you play the Cavs and then you have a back-to-back -back against the Pelicans who are also coming off a back-to-back. -back. So some interesting games. The Pistons are kind of a gimme, but if the Cavs and the Pacers end up 
giving problems to the Bucks. It's kind of interesting, like a changing of the the predominance of power in the Central Division in particular. So that's really the you know only thing I was kind of keeping an eye on this past week. Okay, not much to talk about with the games. Do have a lot to talk about with trade season heating up. Um, I should run through a couple of things. So the trade deadline is February eighth. Um, the Bucks. Don't have a lot to trade. Let's be honest. You can, if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably pretty aware of the things that are most likely to be traded if they were to go through with it. Um, Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis in particular, because the contracts, both the length and the value at about the 10 to 11 million spot. Um, and then the young guys, Ajax, Marjan, AJ Green, and pretty much the 2024 Portland seconds is the big draft asset we can toss into trade. So I asked Michael and Kyle, I said, if, you, if you're coming on the podcast, we're going to have some trade talk. Uh, we, we've seen just in the past week, the Bucks have been linked to at least somewhat to DeJounte Murray. So we, we're kind of still out there. We're checking out what the situation is. Um, that may or may not have impacted my colleagues' fake trades that we have here. But we're going to run through. We're going to go through the components of the trade. You, you, whoever the one who made the trade is going to make the case for why the Bucks want to do it and why the other teams involved want to do it. I'll let you kind of hand wave away draft capital, important or not. I mean, if you feel like it needs to get a pick done, you probably need to include it, but get as crazy as you like. Um, and then we'll critique it. We'll talk through it, see, what, see where our, we think that the team needs are at in terms of the rotation and how we're going to go about getting that. So I know Kyle has a lot of trades. Uh I, Michael and I only came with one. So we're going to start with Kyle. Do your least crazy trade, Kyle, because he did tell us folks beforehand he's got a monster of a trade, and that's the hook to keep you listening until the end of this. But start start with your least crazy, Kyle. My least crazy is going to be the Bucks trade Pat Connaughton to the Magic and receive Jalen Suggs in return. That is just a straight-up trade. The reason why the Bucks would do it is Pat Connaughton is getting on in years. His salary is also one where it's going to still be there. It's got $9 million. It'd be nice to get off of the books. With Jalen Suggs, you're looking at a player that apparently was being shipped around um, last this previous draft. Like, Orlando was looking into Tradium. And right now, there is a team option for him um, this upcoming. They took that $7.2 million. Then there's another one that is going to be $9.1 million. So if the Bucks do decide, you know what, we don't need this, we can go our separate ways, then at least you have that aspect of it. So that is why I, again, I did that trade. It's one of those where it's kind of a, would both teams necessarily do it? I don't see Orlando being as willing, but I think Orlando would probably want a guy that knows his role, knows he doesn't need to start. He can come off the bench. He can provide shooting. He brings veteran leadership. I'm sure the real estate market down in Orlando uh, would be thriving um, with the Disney people as well. And I think it's one of those for Orlando. It would just be a veteran presence on a team that is still pretty young. I mean, other than Joe Ingles, there's not much youth. I mean, there's not much veteran players that I think Orlando would necessarily have slash rely on. You're kind of looking at, you know, Markel Fultz, you got Wendell Carter Jr. You, I mean, Gary Harris, I guess, would be technically one of the veterans, and he's 29. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's like Joe Ingles. But there's a couple of guys, like, this is a talented young team, and I think having a guy like Pat Connaughton who has that experience and can actually be somewhat useful for them, unlike Joe Ingles. Like, yeah, Joe Ingles probably is doing okay enough 
but that that's what I saw with Pat content for the Bucks. Jalen Suggs would be a plus defender that they could have. They would again the contract wise, if the team decided to, they can part ways with it this upcoming summer. Otherwise, it'd be nine point one million. So, not anything like you can cut your losses. Talented player can play point guard, can't play shooting guard, so that helps out as well in terms of not needing to rely on campaign as well. That's kind of what that's where I kind of went with it. I again, this is like my least crazy. It was a you know, if there was a logistical reason for either team, one game gets experience, the other team gets some youth. I like it. I have to say, if if John Hammond and or whoever's the actual GM agreed to that deal, barring of course other draft compensation, I would probably just call for their public execution. Oh, yeah. Two of these three (laughs) trades are, if the other team accepted it, the league would need to investigate collusion. Like, there would be, this would be a, we're shutting this down. Yeah, we we have to to shut this down and figure out what the hell is going on, is would be the statement from the league office. Um, I So, I've never been big on Suggs, mostly because the couple of games I've seen him play for whatever reason, the few non-Bucks games where I watched the Magic because I must have been just really sick in the head that evening prior to the Magic being good this season. Um, He just didn't really impress me all that much, but I like the height, like the size. Do you envision him being a starter over Beasley or is he like the alternates kind of filling that slot if if Beasley drops off? Like what what do you envision his best role He would be a, you could start Beasley. You could start him instead of Beasley and wouldn't really sack wouldn't lose too much i mean beasley shooting really really well but mm-hmm. overall it could help the team's defense but then the bench defense is just absolutely worse and i don't know if it's possible but it would be yeah he's he's shooting 39.6 percent from three this year compared to uh 32 the year prior and then a whopping 21 percent from three two years ago so heater or did jalen suggs learn how to shoot tbd on that um, Michael, how do you feel about Jalen Suggs? Would you, if you were John Horst and they threw that deal your way, would you accept the deal? I don't know a ton about Jalen Suggs. Um, obviously the March Madness run is, is what I know him most for. And the fact that he was, I think a four or five star recruit as a quarterback in Minnesota. So automatically I kind of have a, a tendency to think he's got some dog in him, but, uh, the shooting has not been good in the, in the NBA and, um, I, I don't like to throw around the bust word, but he's not been a top six pick. So I think I think getting him a change of scenery could be good for both parties, but I, I don't see why the Magic would, would accept that. <laughs> but, I mean, crazier things have happened, that's for sure. And, I mean, it's not like the, the Magic are one piece away. I mean, they're pretty significantly far. I mean, they're better this year, but from like competing for for serious playoff contention beyond like first or second round. I, I just don't know if it's there for them right now. I should note that Jalen Suggs has started in all 38 games he has played for the Magic this season. So um, I like the idea, Kyle, but I'm not sure if you're, you're you might be able to cast a spell on Jaham, but that's OK. Um, but I, I think the direction you're going in, in terms of player archetype and then also the player in particular involved is going to be a common denominator in our trades here. So Michael, what, what trade did you bring to our attention? Who are we getting? If it's not Jalen Suggs, who are we getting instead? We're not getting Jalen Suggs in this trade. We are getting DeLon Wright uh, from the Washington Wizards in exchange for Pat Connaughton and the aforementioned 2024 second round pick that we got from Portland. 
Um, DeLon Wright is um, an eighth-year man. He's a point guard. And he is very good on the defensive side. Last year, he averaged nearly two uh, two steals per game. And I think he gives the uh, the Bucks some much-needed defensive presence in the backcourt. I mean, like like we were talking about before, I mean, it's it's just really dreadful with Damian Lillard and whoever's at the two at any given time. It's really hard to watch <laughs> the perimeter defense. So I think he would give um, in like 20 ish minutes a game. I think he would he would provide some good some good backcourt pressure. And the Wizards are a seven and 35 ball club. They've lost 11 or they've lost 10 of their last 11. And they are so far away from a competing team. I could see them just making this trade for the pick. And they're kind of stacking picks right now. I mean, they just traded for Marvin Bagley from the Pistons and they got two future seconds out of that. So this could just be a, a part of their quest to tank. I, I can imagine. Kyle, how do you feel about DeLon Wright? Do you have strong, strong feelings about him? I don't necessarily have strong feelings, but it is one of those where I don't necessarily dislike it. Um, I think kind of like what you're highlight. Well, it's just like DeLon Wright is to me, just like a guy. Like I'm not necessarily like, <laughs> loving him he's a guy and he i think he would be someone that off the bench like an off the bench option would be an upgrade on campaign for sure um would be someone i think could add more defensively to this bucks team that is needed also a guy that could start ahead of malik beasley if needed and i think it would be a more attainable player um that would fit what the bucks need coming off the bench shooting pretty well and he has been a good shooter like he's at least been a 35 percent shooter so it's not as though it's not like jalen suggs where it's like oh did this guy suddenly learn how to shoot it's like no he's he's always been relatively solid like yeah he's had two years where it was sub 30 but out of that out of his um other what 10 seasons he's always been hovering 35 or above so I I would say it's yeah I would take it I think it would defend it's more the defensive side of things and I think you can get them a lot cheaper um, because the Wizards are just tanking and not good so yeah I like I said I'm not I, it's not like I'm gonna say like oh yeah Delon Wright I've been following this guy and think he would be the key cog and what we're missing but I think it is one of those you're upgrading on what you have and that is going to be important for Milwaukee as you know, for the minutes that he will play, you just hope he doesn't do any harm. And I don't think he would. Um, Michael, do you know if DeLon Wright has his bird rights on his current deal or not? Did that weigh in at all? Because this is his contract expires. So that is one thing is that you have to convince the Wizards to give up on an expiring because they can use the cap space. Um, but for the Bucks, if he had any sort of um, bird rights at all, then he would be able to be re-signed at a decent deal as well. Do you know anything about that? I don't off the top of my head. Let me let me get back to you on that. Yeah. Um, I think that would be interesting too, because if we're envisioning DeLon again, bench, he's gonna be a bench guy. He's he's never started a playoff game his career. He's got like 40 some odd games of playoff experience. Um worse than you that you could do. I think he's 31, um, has good size, six foot five. Again, he he kind of falls into the the alternates to Malik Beasley slash Pat Connaughton's probably not going to have a pulse in the playoffs anyhow. Sorry, Adam. Um, so you don't have to worry about running Pats out there. And um, DeLon probably maybe has a little bit. I 
frankly, I haven't watched a lot of Wizards games, so I don't know what his physicality is looking like this season. But, um, you know, I, I think that's pretty reasonable idea as well. It's like, okay, um, his expiring's okay, but you get a little bit of pick capital out of it, and you believe Pat Connaughton is a good guy who will fill a specific role on your really crappy team. So I, I, I can I can get there, especially with the tanking teams. I can kind of get there where, okay, maybe Pat um, would be somebody you could be interested in. So, okay. He I can give provide approval. veteran leadership to Jordan Poole. Pat yeah. Connaughton. <laughs> exactly. I, I, <laughs> well, and the thing with DeLon Wright is his defensive box plus minus is 2.2, which is really effing impressive to do on a very bad Wizards team, I will say. So that's encouraging. Yeah. I'm seeing here he has early bird projected uh, bird rights. Okay. That sounds about right. So, again, that's that's also something to keep in mind. Is So for Jalen Suggs, he is this year, and then I believe next year still has team options. So there's team control there. DeLon Wright, you would be able to re-sign him on an early bird. It's not as big as a bird extension, but you'd still be able to be competitive to keep him here as well, which is also, I think, a critical component to these trades. Unless it's a really old guy that you think this is the final run with him. So, okay. I like that trade. Uh, Kyle, trade number two for you. Which one, who do you got? What's your second most intense option for us here? The Milwaukee Bucks receive P.J. Washington, and they give up Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton. And if you want to throw in a pick, then go ahead. Okay, so the reason it. for this, the reason for this, Charlotte not having a good year, too many injuries. It's kind of torpedoing everything. P.J. Washington makes a lot of money. And by a lot of money, I mean he's currently, I think this year it is $16 million. And then he, they still have him for another two years after that. That way, with this trade, they get off of they get a year off of him because I'm sure with Pat and Bobby, they'll probably take their options. But you get one less year you don't have to pay. That could help in potential rebuilds. I don't see again, it's another team that's kind of a is another I mean he's not as young as Jalen Suggs, but at least there is something there is like potential with him. Not necessarily potential, but you can't shoot. He's not shooting well. Like Look, let's yeah. just be real. He's shooting like 32%. It's not pretty. <laughs> but for Milwaukee, he, this is a down year for him. I mean, he was like 35 last year, 37 two years ago. Like normally he's around 38. So yeah, down shooting year, but could be another option off the bench. If you want to get someone that can more or less do what Bobby has been doing, you might as well get someone that is younger. That could potentially be a better option um on that side and for charlotte why they would accept it again another veteran leader another like bobby i think would be more be able to take on more of that leadership aspect be able to be more that go-to for that i think him and lamella ball when healthy would be a good combo so i think there's that and then with pat content i just had to throw him in because the contracts wouldn't have worked otherwise but it's this one's more the look we're going to have to get rid of Bobby. Like Bobby and Pat are the only two players you can trade. You may as well just trade them and get someone that in theory could help them. I like okay. the uh, kind of the idea of selling it to Bobby Portis as going from like a championship team to a, a not championship team is like, Oh, you get to be a leader. You get to you and LaMelo can be leaders of these young <laughs> men, but 
Okay. You are you being facetious? I hope you're being facetious. <laughs> it's all but i think it's i, I like the strategy in okay. theory. <laughs> um i do too i like the idea of sending bobby to basketball siberia and saying good luck good luck freaking them to glory um it would be like literally three days before him and lamilla ball duked it out on camera so um i like the idea this is the tough part not so much with bobby because i still think bobby has a lot to give to in any sort of trade, whatever team he's on, um, whether or not they be winners or otherwise. And I think he is, joking aside, I think he is more of a leader than he was before he came to Milwaukee. So you kind of have that maturation. Um, and three-year deal where it's going to, at right now it's at 11.7. Like that's still tradable down the road. And Bobby will be effective throughout the entire contract. It's the Pat Connaughton. I mean, at, at this point, so far, has he, he's been in every trade we've proposed so far, right? All three of them. He, he'll be in mine, too. So He will not um, be my last one. I will, I will say. Okay. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, the, the big trade. Pat's going to be here to help settle the wreckage after Kyle rips the team in half. Um, but but the issue with, with Pat is he looks really bad, and he has three years on his contract. And it also is tradable, but, you know depending on what team, I guess a place like the Hornets is okay because they can absorb it a little bit easier, but um, I, I feel like you got to be able to sweeten the pot a little bit, which will be on my trade, but um, I've, I've been a fan of PJ Washington for a while, so I, I like the idea. I think I've tried to do trade proposals on him in the past, so I'm, I'm right there with the same idea, Kyle. Okay. I'm in on PJ Washington. I don't think the Hornets will go for it. And no, Bobby they're Woods, probably not, to be honest. No, but... that's, a, that's all right. This is make-believe land, so we could just say whatever happens, happens, and nobody's going to question us on it. Okay, here's my trade. And this, I feel bad, Alex, our colleague Alex, he, he literally proposed the exact same trade. I swear I did not steal the idea from him, but I was looking on SB Nation, our sister site, the Trailblazers, because I, I want Matisse Thibel on the team. And they wrote a piece reporting that Alex wrote a piece speculating or why the Bucks want Matisse Thibault? That's some real posting from our from our friends over on the Trailblazers sister site. Um, so the deal is this: Matisse Thibault, who's on 10.5 million a year with three years still left on his contract, in exchange for, you guessed it, Pat Connaughton, Marjan Bochamp, and the 2024 second round pick. This is literally piece for piece what Alex proposed in the recent past. Alex, great minds think alike. Why do the Bucks do it? Um, we really, to me, need the alternates from Malik Beasley. That's why I keep mentioning it over and over again, which is what this is supposed to fill in here. Matisse is a great defender, and the three-point shooting has been there this season where it has him in the future. Again, did he actually learn how to shoot, or is it just a hot streak, TBD? Um, he's young. He, I think he's 26, I'm pretty sure. He's got, like I said, three years. That's cost-controlled help, guy who can fit off the bench, whatever, play defense and the main thing is if Beasley goes the way of Bryn Forbes which I have talked about numerous times you want the guy who can either spot start as the defensive perimeter guy or you just bring him off the bench constantly whatever Griffin wants to do there what I want this defense to do and what Griffin is is trying to get it there is okay don't give up three pointers give up twos not threes the issue is once you can pass the three-point line our defense is so bad that it just leaves everybody off to dry if a perimeter defender can stop a ball handler for even just like a second more 
just not literally completely lose their man and also be a good situational defender. I think that goes enough of a way in a Titan rotation to make the defense workable. It's not going to be great, but in a slower pace playoff environment, I think you could maybe rely on Thibault to help kind of fill some of the gaps. So uh, that's why the Bucks do it. Why the Blazers do it? They they haven't watched Marjan Beauchamp in a while. Uh, Pat Connaughton, again, like a, a veteran guy. He's, he's already from Portland, or not from Portland, but he's already played in Portland. That's where he started his career. So he's, you know, beloved by the fans. That takes the sting off. Uh, the second round pick for 2024, the Blazers are bad. They're trying to tank. Um, Pat would help out with that. And if they get their own pick back, they can either hold on to it because it'll be a high second rounder or trade it, be a part of a bigger trade because there's going to be more things to move around. Um, and on top of that, Marjan and Scoot Henderson, I don't know if they were teammates or they they did a recording together after Scoot got drafted about the G League at night. But, but you know, if, if you think Scoot needs his guys around him to really start performing... I'm doing a lot of, you know, theater of the mind talking for the Trailblazers GM because I think this would also be highway robbery and um, the folks online think that as well. But this that's that's the trait. I think Marjan, you sell now, um, Pat's the salary, you get it done, and then you throw in a little draft capital. So they get a young guy with some upside in theory and uh, some better draft capital in exchange for one of their better rotation players. Thoughts? Still would struggle to see why Portland would do it, but at the same time, it would be it, this one would be, be pretty balanced. I think the logic makes sense for why both teams would do it. I just feel like it's a little bit harder for Portland to kind of sit there and be like, okay, we don't. I think getting the pick back would probably be the biggest thing because it's kind of like we're taking on a guy that is clearly washed, we're taking on a guy that I we're still unsure on, and then okay, we get our pick back for someone that can be useful and could be used on a, and like someone that they could technically go and flip and turn into something else down the road. But I think Milwaukee would be a good idea, a good alternate um, to Malik Beasley, someone that defensively would raise the floor for Milwaukee, which would be nice. But I'm also, I've just never been big on Tybal. Like I've always just been kind of like, eh, he's there. There's nothing. I've, I've never understood the appeal of him. I don't think other teams did either until he started shooting well this year. But, you know, when he went from the Sixers to the Trailblazers, like, oh, there goes the defensive stopper. Um, and, you know, he's like, OK, but if, if you're going to be that one way of a player, it's like Andre Roberson, who was like an excellent defender until he fell off the cliff. If you're just going to be like the defensive guy, you have to be an elite defensive guy. And I think he was pretty good and had like a little bit of flexibility. And he was young. Um, yeah. So now he's like salary slot, but you know, if he's making threes, but the, the idea the other way is to like Marjan fits the age timeline a little bit better for what the um, trailblazers will be going for. Pat could get rerouted again. It's not going to cause mm -hmm. trouble. And like you said, the draft capital. So um, if it kind of depends on if the blazers are looking to continue to sell off guys or, you know, what their anticipation is. Cause if, 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 he's on the market and we're like the best offer and they're like, Oh, whatever. Like, you know, we can make something work. It's the same contract year or whatever. Um, then you can kind of see it, but I don't know. What do you think, Michael? I like the um, comparison to Malik Beasley. I think he's kind of a good Yang to, to Malik's Yen. I mean, I think you, you get a lot of, of what measly, uh, measly Beasley brings to the floor. 
and I think it's it'd be a kind of a good a good rotation piece in that way. Um, I don't really know why Portland would do it, but I think I mean it, it's a pick. It's a it's a team that's at this in its current state not serious. So um, I I would love I would like Thibault to be on on the Bucks for sure. Yeah. This is, and for me, the tough part is like, okay, the sweeteners are Marjan, uh, Andre Jackson Jr. in terms of actual players, unless you think a team is really going to love Bobby. Um, but to give up both those guys, is, I'm okay giving up Marjan, giving up both to make something happen. That gets really tough, uh, even for like a tie where, okay, I, I think he would fit in a playoff rotation for sure. But that's the tough part the Bucks are going to run into a lot is, you probably need one of those guys attached to make salary and sweetener make sense for whatever team is receiving them. Um, but if they want both, you know, it's like either neither or both. That's a tough pill to swallow. If you're John horse, I know he doesn't care about drafting or player development at all, nor should he with his timelines, but that's still a tough pill to swallow. So, yeah, it's like hard to, to wrap your brain around, even if it like logistically makes some sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kyle. What did you go nuts with? Who who are we? Who's bringing in? How many teams are involved? You only said you two ran teams. Into the machine. Okay, only two teams. Okay, only two okay. teams. It's fine. It's just the Bucks received Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kuminga, and they trade Chris Middleton and the 2024 Portland pick. And I call it the "You did what?" pick. I you did what trade? The "F your feelings" trade. That, um, yeah, so this is where I, after I put this trade together, I messaged Riley and Adam. I said, I've created a monster. This would, I, I don't know how people would react to this. Um, why would the Warriors do it? Well, Jonathan Kaminga has already been vocal about his displeasure sometimes with Steve Kerr. The team has, there's a team option. So, in theory, they could be done with him after this year. Like the next two years are team options. So they could decide if they want to bring him in or not. He hasn't worked out. Um, he's for what he should have been. He has just not panned out in that way. Andrew Wiggins, other than really the playoff, like the finals back when they won the title, he has not really been great for Golden State. He's got a very lengthy contract as well. Um, that contract goes until the 26-27 season, and he has a player option for that year, which he will likely take because it is $30 million. So Golden State could save themselves a year of a contract that, quite frankly, will suck, at least. And then you get someone in Chris Middleton who can help Steph out because right now Clay Thompson literally can't do anything but shoot a ball. Draymond Green cannot do anything. At least with Chris Middleton, you have someone that pairs with Steph Curry that is able to get their buckets on offense that would be able to take that load off of it and would force teams to be able to pay attention because Chris, for all his flaws defensively, can still score like it's no one's business. Why would the Bucks do it? You gotta, at this point, you gave Chris this offer and it made sense and he's a good pairing with Giannis, but he's really, really bad on defense. That contract isn't going to age well at all. At the very least, with Wiggins, you get someone that's a little bit younger that could help out with the defensive side a little bit more. Wiggins doesn't need the ball, which helps out and focusing and lets Dame and Giannis do what they need to. Wiggins can just kind of 
flash in, be more of the athletic kind of transition player. Kaminga, young player. And again, if the T if the Bucks don't, if it doesn't work out, you can part ways with them after this year and you're good. If he does well, you have a team option. You get him for six mil, and all of a sudden you got this unearthed gem. So that is why I did it. Both sides would probably it would probably take a lot of both sides to be like, was this really a good idea? Like the buck people would have to look at the bucks and be like, you're really getting rid of Chris Middleton for Wiggins and Kaminga. And then if you're the Warriors, like I get that Chris Middleton's better player than Andrew Wiggins, but is he really going to help us? And Golden State's kind of desperate, so maybe they can like you gotta make a desperate move, but would they really do it? I don't know. But this is the I'm sorry you did what trade. I I can't wait for Adam to listen to this and give us his takes on, on how <laughs> he feels about it. Um so are you envisioning that Wiggins steps in and fills the uh, Andrew Wiggins is a starter for us? And okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um hmm. You did what indeed. So I'm not necessarily totally opposed to um, Chris being in the trade machine because he has looked really, really bad on defense. And Kaminga is interesting in that he's 21, but I've also, from what I've heard, it's tough to tell if he's real or not. So I guess, like you said, he's kind of like a upside play um, man. I don't know if other team would do that. It would be, it'd be intense for sure. I'll tell you, for us at least. I mean, for Chris goes out on his shield for Andrew Wiggins. That's a that's a tough beat way to end the the career as a buck. But um, what about you, Michael? What do you what do you think? I mean, I I think that the defense has been bad enough this year, just from the Bucks as a team, that a drastic move like this one is is necessary. I know that. Other drastic moves specifically within coaching have been suggested. And I think this is kind of in that same vein in terms of a Hail Mary trying to salvage a championship team with no money to spend. But I mean, Wiggins is bad this year. I mean, you look at the statistics. I mean, he's shooting below 30% from three. He's, I mean, at least from a from a, a box score standpoint, he's not really bringing a lot that you're seeing defensively. I mean, I know that the that that athletic body, as long as it's it's in somewhat of its prime, is going to be able to defend. But yeah, I, I I think that I don't I don't know if Kaminga is the the second piece along with Wiggins that would make that that deal really work for me. But I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I think that I love the kind of the the attitude that it comes from i guess it, yeah it was kind of hard to think of like another dude that would be able to like you could throw in there just also contract wise because like all right golden state's contract situation is like all right you got steph with 51 million you got clay with 43 Dr chris paul's got 30 draymond's got 22 so it's like all right i don't think golden state would part ways with gary payton the second even though I would ideally like him more as an option. I don't think that would work. I think Golden State likes Kevon Looney enough that they keep him around. So I was kind of looking at it. It's like, all right, Moses Moody, Dario Saric. But then, like, my logic is improve athleticism. I'm not picking up Dario Saric. So it was kind of tough to, like, think of another dude. And I was like, oh, Jonathan Kaminga. Yeah, sure, why not? He, this guy's like, he's been in the moon news. <laughs> 
it just reeks of desperation from both sides, but I don't know that it's unwarranted. So it's like, I, I, I think that the, it's way more likely to work out for the Bucks, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's, really hard. It's one of those, both teams would be desperate to try something, but how desperate? Because Golden State's not even in a playoff spot right now. Right. So this yeah. would at least maybe inch them closer to a play-in game. Yeah, you don't want to waste another one of the final years of Steph's prime, which will run out at some point or another, even if it goes on forever. Um, I'm probably going to veto to the trade, honest, honestly. Um, not out of any deep loyalty to Chris, but just because I'm not necessarily a believer in the pieces coming back. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, if if you're going to go all out, I, I find it interesting thinking about if it's Chris versus Brooke and then who you're bringing back. And part of the trouble with and this is obvious through our trade exercises, anybody who kicks on the trade machine, trying to find reasonable teams to take on these contracts, finding the logic for why they would nab it. Um, we don't have much sweetener. And then on top of that, um, especially if you send two guys out for one or more than that, trying to backfill off of the buyout market or for free agents is kind of a tough task or it's an unknown. We don't know what that market's going to look like. So, um, you know, this is, if you're going to get crazy, go crazy with it. But that's that's why I'm curious how the actual trade deadline will work out because there's a lot of factors both for and against a trade happening. Um, running through these, any other takeaways that you guys had? So it, it kind of seems like we all think guard to wing is maybe the biggest need based off of play. Would, would you guys tend to agree with that in terms of the trade market? Yes. Yeah. Just because okay. if you're looking at what are you trying to upgrade, it's going to have to be that two guard or that wing. And that is the area that if Milwaukee's defense is to improve, that's probably the only way to do it. Yeah, I I, I was kind of kicking around the idea of another PJ Tucker trade, but man would be a tough pill to swallow to have to go back and trade actual assets. And now he's 38. And you have Jay Crowder, which might be able to. Kyle shaking his head. No, he's not the PJ Tucker. What about on a buyout, Kyle? PJ Tucker back on a buyout? Would you take him? No, I mean, <laughs> or what? Like, I guess for me, it's just more okay. You bring him on a buyout. You're giving him playing time. Is it really that? Like, are you just there? Are, is he going to be there just to yell Adrian Griffin from the bench? Yes, because he might as well almost exclusively. Like, then. I don't know. It's just like, am I really going to bench Andre Jackson Jr. or even Jay Crowder for PJ Tucker? And it's like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. So it's just kind of hard for me to be like, okay, who's playing time? Are we gonna have to sacrifice to make this work? Yeah. Okay. I do well, like we'll the see, idea of bringing in a, a veteran for the coaching upside with a rookie coach, though. <laughs> Not really, but it, it would be a funny move if that was the reason for it or one of the reasons for it. Yeah, that's the trick. That's like what they've done in the past with the buyout guys like Pau Gasol for reasons that we weren't weren't clear at the time and remain unclear. Mar, uh, uh, who was it? Marvin Williams, who retired with us. Um, you know, they Marvin Williams. You, you can talk yourself into it. Yeah, yeah. I can at least be talking into Marvin Williams. Yeah. Based off of your experience in this, it, like – What's your feeling? Trade, no trades. Obviously, we have no clue at all. John Horses swung it from left, right, and center out of the blue. Um, 
How do you feel about the prospects? Or do you anticipate a trade to matter the size by John Horse at the deadline? Yeah, because Horse has always made a trade at the deadline. Might not be a big one, but it, I think he'll do something. Ditto to that, especially with kind of how drastic things are seeming right now. And I mean, in the middle of a championship window, I would be surprised if he doesn't at least do something minor. <laughs> yeah. I think he's going to stay pat based off of his discussion with buyout guys, if only because this roster feels half built. The coach were a little unclear as to what that situation is going to be in the somewhat near future this summer. Um, and if they let time take over, they get access to more draft capital. Now there are CBA restrictions that are going to make certain trades a little bit more difficult for the bucks once second apron stuff starts kicking in. But um I'm kind of leaning to no. I think the logic is is hard to justify for the other teams to get involved, unless there's like a three-team trade where we get in on something like that. But um, I'm going to say no. Don't want to get too invested. You keep the capital. You keep the contracts. Maybe you can do something bigger in the summer to rework the roster and in, in a better in your image with whatever coaching staff you have and with Damon Giannis, another year of experience with those two guys. So I'm going to say no, but even a small one wouldn't surprise me either. So. Any other trade talk? Any other trade takes? It's I don't hard, yeah. yeah, I it's kind of hard to really picture much trades because right now the Bucks only have like three players worth a damn that you would trade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good trade talk. We'll probably have a little bit more coverage as we get closer, especially if there are more rumors or more linking the Bucks to specific players. DeJounte Murray. We'll see. Uh, there's a couple of different teams. Seems like you'd be sort of duplicating a lot of the stuff they already have, and he'd become a fourth fiddle, which I'm not sure if he's cool with. But, you know, we'll keep an eye on that, talk about it in coming podcasts. Uh, that takes care of the Bucks portion of the podcast. Finally, we can wipe our hands free of that. Kyle, I see that you have rapid fire for us to start off the miscellaneous segment. Yeah, I, I promise it won't be as ridiculous as my uh, trade ideas. So um the first one is relatively simple. If there was one particular rule you can make in the NBA, what is it? Hmm. Like commissioner, like I'm commissioner for a day and I get to come up with the Riley Feldman yes. Memorial rule. Hmm. Yes. That is a really good question. I think I would make a tech only like only technical fouls if someone is touched. I think we should encourage a little bit more trash talking. I think it makes the game fun. These are grown adults. And I think that I, I like when, when like a dunk happens and then there's some yelling that's going on between the guys, but then the refs have to get in the way and police it all and throw out tees. I would rather, I mean, if you touch somebody, you deserve punishment, but. If I was GM, I would I would lax a bit on the trash talk tees. I would do something with three point line. I'm torn between pushing it out or cutting off the corners completely. Um, I don't advocate it for a four point line. I just think, come on, we it's I it's tough to say when you have to have your principles because obviously the sport is constantly changing. But I'm not in non four point land. I think expand the three point line to the point where it cuts off the corners. Um, nothing against corner shooting, but it's statistically by far the easiest three point shot you can get. Teams are very used to getting looks out there if that's like a core component of their offense. Um, I just think it might 
slow down a little bit the three-point revolution that people typically view as a negative. Uh, it can be kind of hit or miss for me, but um, if you want more shots inside the perimeter, uh, that's a quick way to get is get rid of the easiest shot and see how they adjust from there. So that would be my proposal. All right. All right. Mine would be just get rid of flagrant one. Just make it a flagrant two at this point. Like at this point, we're kind of in the a flagrant one. It's just more subjective at this point. If it's going to be a flagrant, just make it a flagrant two. And let's move on. Um, so Brooke Lopez, I'm going to, it's kind of a two parter. Do you think he has increased or decreased his three point attempts this year compared to last year? I'm going to say, damn, I'm trying to remember the last time I saw him shoot inside. That wasn't like a putback. Uh, I'm going to say he decreased them. It feels like he's less involved in general with the offense that he has been in the past in your reg- average regular season game. Um, I'm going to go increase just to oppose you. <laughs> okay. Okay. And is his three-point percentage higher or lower than last season's? I would guess higher. That would be my... Mm, I would guess gonna, like, lower attempts, I would say higher. Okay, I'm going to go opposite Michael again. I'll go lower as well. I It, it also feels right. I think Brooke had a little bit of a bounce back here, if I remember, from last Yes, season. correct. So last year, Brooke Lopez shot 37% from three on 4.7 attempts. This year, Brooke is shooting 33% from three on five attempts per game. You're right. So, <laughs> do we? Yeah. How do we feel it, about Brook Lopez? How do we feel about Brook Lopez threes in a uh, <clears throat> in a Bucks offense? Is it still necessary? Are teams starting no. to kind of ignore it? Was it always kind of a gimmick all along? Uh, even if it kind of spaces the floor. Has society yeah. evolved past the need for a Brook Lopez? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we already have his brother on the bench. What do we need Brook for? Robin can just do all the same stuff, of course. Like, come on. Yeah, it was. I, I am over it. Um, I don't think with, especially when you have Beasley and Dame and Chris, you don't need another guy that is out there shooting threes. When Brooke first got here, it made sense because you really only had Chris that was in Brogdon that were capable of shooting threes. And then when Drew comes in, it's like, yeah, you have someone, but it, there hasn't been as many very good shooters on the Bucks roster until this year. And now it's like, you don't need Brooke out there pulling up from 29 feet. Yep. I know he puts up good numbers, but in my head, sometimes I'll see him like begin to fire a shot. And my thought is just, Oh God, here we go. Like this is either going to go in or be bad. <laughs> like it's, I don't have the same faith that I used to, I think with Brooke Lopez shooting threes. And it's belying the, the, not issue, but like, it's sort of a gimmick, the big shooting bigs. This is my hot take, I guess, that I didn't intend on saying on the podcast. But unless you're a Joel Embiid style where the three-point shot is just part of your overall arsenal and you're like a really dominant force everywhere on the floor offensively, and if your co-running mate is a big as Giannis, if I'm the other team, I'm like, okay, if Brooke beats us with eight threes, then it is what it is, but power forward or center, whoever's guarding Brooke sag way off. Like, don't worry about that. Like, I, I just feel like depending on, unless you're a very unique type of big who has that shot, um, your, your gains in terms of spacing with the bucks in particular are a little minimized because 
trying to stop Giannis is going to be always much more valuable than like giving up a 30, 35% shot to Brooke Lopez on the three point line. So even yeah. if it's value is a little bit higher. All right. Uh, the other question I had, if you had a time machine, would you go back in time or go into the future? I got to say the future. I'm curious. Like I, I'm not, I'm more of a curious person than I am a historic person. I think. I'm scared as hell of the future. I'm going to the past. I don't want to know what's coming. I don't. <laughs> Maybe it's great, but, you know, we live in a pessimistic era, so I have to assume. I would go back. I don't even know when I would go back because you think about it, probably not a lot of great hangs no matter where you went. Uh, so <laughs> just like throughout history, you know, it's all it's all messy. So yeah, maybe I'd go back like a couple of years ago. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, but I would go back for sure. I'm too scared of the future in terms of just jumping forward and seeing what's waiting for us. Um, you know, that probably not not for me. Yeah, I, I'm going future because I'm not going to the past. Absolutely not. There's no time frame for me that's good in the past. I'll go to the future. I'll just see how bad things got, and I'll just be like, all right. <laughs> okay, cool. This is this is what happened. And maybe there are – who knows what plant, what the state the plant will be in as well. So – and this is, the last this is where kyle this is where kyle re- reveals he already went to the future and the andrew wiggins trade does happen in the coming weeks he knows he's seen call, the vision he knows what comes they called me a madman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly the kyle oh. car story yeah i love that okay <laughs> this kind of segues perfectly into my final question if you could live in any fictional like world setting what would it be and why uh fictional world setting um do you have any examples of like what a fictional world setting yeah so like would you want to live in the time period of like the marvel cinematic universe Ooh. <laughs> like do you want to live in like a harry potter-esque world or like, star wars or anything like that you have to say no to the marvel universe because <laughs> i just love those memes of like me when the hulk <laughs> threw my car into the sky and just, you know i love those so i can't live in that universe just because you can't live in new york city oh, in the marvel cinematic no <laughs> no yeah i can't yeah public destruction universe, is but me. my corolla's in the in a tree like what did you do <laughs> yeah, like exactly I, I don't have the income to yeah, yeah. This, but mr uh, the hulk yeah star wars would be sick if if you're like not a peasant I feel like if I'm just like in most Eisley Cantina, it might be kind of crappy, but I was like a Jedi. I I Michael's was gonna go like, with Pokemon. Michael's like, I wanna go to the Star Wars universe and just if I could be a basket blog boy there as well. Just like if I could be in that mid-tier, I think that would be, be dope. Which is true, probably. Obi-Wan would not have survived in the more physical era of the <laughs> <laughs> Anakin was a hashtag problem in his era. <laughs> Mickey Mouse Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, fictional universe I would live in. I, I'm going Pokemon because I feel like that's the least. Um, if things were to go bad, how screwed would I be? Because what spurred this question was someone asked if you could live in a certain anime world, what would you pick? And I was, I was just like, there is no good answer. Um. That's a, that's, I really, I don't have a great answer to be honest. I, I don't think the like high fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, again, it's a tough living, no matter what the situation is. It's not, you know, it's not super chill. Um, 
you don't want to live in like any of the video game environments because it's all all death and destruction apocalypse. No, you know what? I would live. I would go live my farming lifestyle. I go to Stardew Valley where the people are nice and and the crops are always growing. So I'm going to Stardew Valley and I could I'm going to become Farmer Riley. That's okay. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Nope. I'm, I'm sticking with Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That is rapid fire. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. Do they do? Does everybody catch Pokemon? I can't remember. Are they they're like integrated in society, right? Like they. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, some there's some trainers out there. I feel like everyone has a Pokemon. What they use it for is that varies, but yeah, okay. I just wanted to make sure that you would take advantage of going Pokemon collecting or whatever training. Whatever I, I exactly probably wouldn't be a trainer. Is. That's a lot of that's a lot of work. I, I just want like a nice little like growl just to like hang with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I like the idea of just using a Pokemon for like a mundane task, like mowing your yard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it pokemon was ahead of irobot by easily years uh so <laughs> will smith is just like a take on pokemon of will smith's uh irobot is the way that i'm looking at it okay ink this week been a very long time since we last had ink um when i purchased my kaveco that i talked about a couple of weeks ago it came with a uh vial of its own ink but i said i gotta do it right this is a cheap pen and I have to throw in $10 to get free shipping. So I got Diamine Carnival ink. Now I'm going to show the guys on the screen. They're going to look nothing crazy, right? It's just a kind of like a deep red. And that's yeah. exactly what it is. Nothing crazy. Um, but it's that sort of red where I don't like red gel pen or not gel pens, uh, like roller balls, like what you would get used to like at school to correct papers and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, ink sucks and then it's too bright and looks like like it looks like it almost fades immediately so this is a pretty hefty red in terms of how it goes down it doesn't have a lot of reflectivity um and i like that uh and would you call it like a ferrari red i guess is kind of like like that kind of darker red so I, I like the look of it a lot um it's very cheap it came in a bunch of little uh little vials so you can just toss it right in the pen which is nice so uh, diamond carnival been a long time for red ink but it's a good looking red ink. I, I would highly recommend it for writing of all sorts. Why the carnival name is it just because, or is it like it's? I believe, and literally nobody quote me on this, but either it's there's carnival. I'm thinking of like carnival in uh, Cologne or like in Germany, Germany in particular. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know in Cologne, which is like the heart of carnival, red is one of the main colors. So that's maybe it or. You know, think of carnivals in general. Red could be like one of the colors, big tent or whatever. So, um, yeah, don't know the exact history, but that would be my guesstimate on it. It looks like you're from that little sample of handwriting I saw. It looks like your kind of writing style would favor a pen that is like a little more like glidey, like in the sense mm -hmm. like you, I feel like if you were using like one of those those pens like you mentioned in school, it would you wouldn't have like very thick yeah. writing. It would always it would kill my hand because I would press down so hard while I'm writing. So like the gliding helps out a lot. And this in terms of reds, it's a good, another good point, Michael. Uh, reds are typically drier. So the key is getting one that doesn't skip a lot. So they have to go back and rewrite. Um, and this one flows really nicely as well. So, yeah, it all fits. And uh, I like it a lot. Shout out to Diamond. They do some good stuff with ink. All right. Okay. Because Michael's previous appearances have kind of been, uh, again, special special occasions for draft and emergency podcasts, he we realized prior to recording that he does not have a recurring segment. So 
the playoffs are finishing now, so we'll see what kind of takes he has in the future in the off season. But we're introducing Michael's Gridiron Minutes. Work titles getting workshop. We just came up with that, Michael. Where where are you taking us in the world of American football? Um, I'm taking you to uh, Buffalo, New York. Um, there was four playoff games this weekend. Unfortunately, my hometown Houston Texans did not fare very well. But uh, the biggest story probably from this weekend was um, the Chiefs versus Bills game. It's been kind of a recurring recurring game in the playoffs in, re- in years past. And um, probably the, the biggest takeaway from this game is going to be the missed field goal at the end by Tyler Bass that would have tied it for Buffalo. Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but Kansas City advanced. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a play earlier in the game where McCole Hardman – fumbled the ball just outside of the end zone and the ball rolled out of bounds after crossing the uh, the pylon and going into the end zone, which resulted in a touchback for Buffalo, who was on defense at the time. And this often gets called the the worst rule in sports, that if you fumble the ball into the end zone, it, it's a turnover and it's a touchback going the other way. I personally love that rule. I think that the end zone is a sacred place in American football and disrespecting it by fumbling the ball into the end zone should result in a loss of possession. I was talking about that earlier with my friend and he had the same take. Like the end zone is not a regular part of the field. You can't, you need to be punished for, for fumbling the ball in the end zone. The end zone only deserves tightly held footballs that are possessed by a runner and anything other than that should result in some sort of penalty besides an incomplete pass, of course. I, I like the rule. I think they should keep it. Don't fumble. I, I I was thinking that. I was like I was thinking like rugby style, where like if you get close to the end zone, you just drop. Like oh no, you drop it and then kick the ball and hope for the best that way. I feel like I if you were to change the rule, I could see some rugby nonsense. <laughs> I saw a particular tweet that called the rule too harsh, and I was just like, man, what are we doing? Like it's it's perfectly harsh. Like it's harsh, but it's not too harsh. I don't know. Yeah. That's that's my take on it. It's a the boldest take out of that, Michael. It's not so much not changing the touchback rule. It's saying on a Milwaukee Bucks podcast, Milwaukee located in Wisconsin, that the biggest story of the weekend was not Green Bay Packers related. Um, That's a so good it, point. That's a good point. That was a tough game for the Packers. Um, I was I was hoping that they would win. Although I'm not a, a Packers fan directly, I was hoping for the sake of the Milwaukee community that, mm-hmm. that I love so much that the yeah. you know. <laughs> It, it was a valiant fight. Make your field goal. That would have helped. Catch the ball. Defenders. That would have helped. Yeah. And Anders Carlson, man, he's maybe a bit of a Nepo baby because his brother's, I think, Daniel Carlson, but he did not have his best work kicking the ball today or yesterday. It's just, I'm just sick of losing to 49ers. I, I'm just annoyed that it has to be them every single freaking year, it seems like. <laughs> Well, shout out to all the Acme Packing Company listeners who now no longer have anything else to talk about. We we welcome your listenership, your viewership with open arms. Um, thanks for the Gridiron Minute, Michael. We'll keep workshopping the title, but keep us informed as to what's going on in the world of football, um, which we don't hear all that much on this podcast. Okay, we're wrapping it up here, Kyle. It's not a film review this week, so we're going to go right to predictions. Four games. Oddly enough, we have five in a row against divisional opponents. We're uh, part of the way there. Bucks are still in Detroit. They're going to play the Pistons tonight, Monday night, when you're hearing this podcast. Um, 
then they come back home after that long road trip, not long after a couple game road trip. They face the Cavaliers on Wednesday. They face the Cavaliers again at home on Friday. And then they face the New Orleans Pelicans on Saturday. That is going to be a back-to-back for the Bucks and the Pelicans. The Pelicans will be hosting the Thunder Friday night before they come up overnight to play the Bucks the next night. Um, Michael, what say you prediction this week? Um, I, I would say it's a five-game stretch. I would say we continue our 500-ish ways, go three and two. I, I feel like we we maybe drop the one to New Orleans and split the, the doubleheader in Cleveland. That would be my pick. Kyle? Um, three and one. I think get the win against Detroit, get the win against Cleveland on Wednesday, rest guys uh, again on Friday, and then go full throttle on Saturday. I'm going to go two and two as well. I, I think the Detroit win, I think that's a shoe in. I hope. Alec Burks, <laughs> please don't hurt us. Um, you have to imagine. We'll have another bounce back of like, oh, the Bucks aren't going to get shown up again like that. And so we'll have a bounce back win against the Cavs, who are still hurt. They may be a little bit more healthy by then, but we'll see. Agree with Kyle. We rest guys on Friday or Saturday. Could be Saturday as well. Um, and if they rest it on Saturday, I'm not, you know, too strongly uh, encouraged that we would win two straight against the Cavs, given the latest performance. So two and two. <laughs> I think we'll split the Cavs and then maybe lose to the Pelicans. We'll see. I mean, It'll be interesting game. I said three and two. My bad. <laughs> no, you're good. I just realized um, the different game is on Monday, but I'm ju- I'm just hoping Zion Williamson suits up. I hope he doesn't rest, and I I hope we have the honest throwdown because that's always fun when those two guys play. So, yeah. okay, great. Well, thanks, guys, for hopping on the podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for those watching over on the BrewHoop YouTube. You can follow all the game action over at BrewHoop.com. We got pregame, postgame coverage. We have our weekly pieces. We have the Trade Candidates series going on right now where our intrepid crew of writers try to find a trade that makes some sense like we did and then also continue to justify where everybody is going to accept Pat Connaughton's contract. Um You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere good podcasts are found. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We want to catch you guys again next week.